and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Today's show, I play a really cool debate, if I do say so myself, among a bunch of lefties around the election and voting in general. The Patreon-only episode for this week is a chat that I have with journalists Rania Kalik and Aaron Mate, who have been on the show a bunch, good friends of the show, at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And that is about... Uh, Glenn Greenwald, The Intercept, Hunter Biden, how to cover Joe Biden when he's running against Trump, the state of the independent media, the state of the media media, the state of liberal media, the state of conservative media. Anyway, that's Patreon only. And it's not actually necessary at all for you to obviously to follow this conversation, which is a debate. But this main episode opens right after that chat, that Patreon-only chat, which you can access at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. It opens right after that. And um, it's at this point, we bring in journalist Omar Badar. And then Omar, Rania, Aaron, and I talk about voting for Biden and how to vote for him and how to present him and how to talk about him. Then we have a more contentious debate. We bring on Eugene Purrier and Benjamin Studebaker, who have different perspectives on this issue. I'll introduce them to you later on in this episode, so you'll meet them, so don't worry. But at this point, I just got to introduce Omar Badar, political analyst on matters relating to the U.S., Middle East, and Palestine, Israel. He's the former deputy director of the Arab American Institute and a former producer and presenter at Al Jazeera's The Stream. Oh, also, if you're listening to this on Election Day, Matt Taibbi and I are going to do a live drinking game of the elections, and you can find that on my YouTube channel, which is... Uh, youtube.com slash the katie helper show again that's youtube.com slash the katie helper show on election night at 8 p.m eastern standard time please rate and review the show on itunes omar Badar, I want to have you on. Uh, I had Chris Hedges on, who made an argument against voting for Biden, although he admitted it was a personal argument, and he said he hopes Trump loses. So just to put it mm-hmm. out there, that was so it was it was not um, the kind of like grand politicized political um, statement that I think some people think it was. And of course, he also votes in New York, right? So I think <laughs> I, I do think he can afford literally to do that. Um, yep. You had an interesting response. Uh, you got kind of nerdy on us. Can you ex- can you share what your response was? You don't have to quote it, just like a you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, look. In in general, I feel like there's a lot of discussions around this election about what I think is a uh, symbolic morality. It's the importance of my conscience being clear by saying I did not vote for someone who did bad things, and to me that really is not the kind of morality that matters. I think consequential morality and the impact on people who will suffer as a result of the policies that take place is the more important kind. And for me, it's ultimately much more, you know, if you say, if if you have an opportunity to reduce harm by voting for the lesser of two evils and you don't take it up, technically you can say my conscience is clear, my hands are clean, there's no blood on my hands, I voted for no one. By contrast to somebody who votes for the lesser of two evils, technically their hands are dirtier, but if that reduces harm, then that obviously in my in my view is obviously the more moral choice that we need we need a more practical view of what morality is that centers the people who are most impacted rather than this symbolic idea that I just want my hands to be clean. Um, and so obviously in the context of Israel-Palestine, uh, Chris Hedges uh, was, was talking about how it would be difficult for him to face Palestinians had he voted for Biden because Biden is somebody who, as we all know, is going to be terrible on this issue, is going to continue to enable Israeli apartheid and, and occupation violence and land theft and so on. Um, but I imagine that understanding that ultimately one of these two men is going to be president. There's no way around it. Um, Making sure that we reduce the harm, and by the way, that includes Palestinians as well. Trump has escalated the harm directed at Palestinians in a very significant way. You know, cutting the entire funding, uh, U.S. funding to the U.N. agency that helps Palestinian refugees survive. I mean, that's, that's not negligible. That actually impacts real people's lives. Endorsing annexation that will, which is inevitably going to lead to an an expansion in the home demolitions that target Palestinians. These are all real things that impact real people. And I see nothing immoral in making choices that reduce the harm um, that impacts real people's lives. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with what you said. I also don't think the like, and I'm not saying you're doing this at all. I think there's just too much of like a voter blaming kind of thing going on mm -hmm. where I think, um, I don't think people should be shamed for how they vote. And I think that it actually is a destruct, a self-destructive, uh, self on the part of, on the part of Democrats, like the, the democratic party line to just yell at people. And like, they're even yelling at people who are voting for Biden for not voting for Biden with a smile on their face. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like I, I you know, I, I voted for Joe Biden. Um, and I, I thought that would immunize me, but it doesn't immunize you. It just like makes people still yell at you because you're not doing it while like, you know, cheering yep. and like B I D, you know, <laughs> um, so I, I think, and I also think that, uh, at the end of the day, like what, what really needs to be discussed and talked about is like, why do we have this shitty ass system where a significant number of people in this country don't even vote? Yeah. Like there's all this voter shaming going on and no attempt to target the people who don't vote. Yeah. Like, why aren't they voting? Is it because they don't feel like it matters? Like, is it because there is a significant chunk of this country that gets the sense that their lives do not materially change yeah. no matter who's in charge. So how do you change that? And the way to change that is to have a democratic party that actually appeals to those people yep. with policy. Um, and like the last, every election since I can remember hasn't done that. And it only gets worse. Every four years it gets worse. It becomes more like this sort of culture, moralistic war of words rather than here are our policies. I think this mm -hmm. election is like, the worst because it's all just, you know, either, you know, be with Trump or hate Trump. That's what we're voting, right? We're voting between Trump or not Trump. That's it. It's like, I'm not really voting for any policies. You know what I'm no, saying? That's true. Let me, let me agree with 90% of what you're saying, but also disagree on a part that I think is, is important. So there's no question the Democratic Party establishment sucks. The fact that nobody's doing meaningful outreach to figure out why most Americans don't vote, I mean, it's it really is stunning. The fact that the act of not voting, instead of being an effective protest, ends up simply marginalizing you and the political establishment just ignores you and goes on trying to focus on, on likely voters. The part that I will disagree with you on, though, is that I don't think that simply voting for Joe Biden should immunize you from people not being super happy with the way you communicate publicly. So just here's, and obviously, you know that I love you and you know that I respect your work. And so this is not coming, this is not coming from any place of hostility or anything it's like that. It's just a voodoo doll with Rodney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that if you devote a lot of energy, arguably equal or potentially more energy, shitting on the Democrats and talking about how terrible they are, that could potentially have the impact of discouraging people from voting the lesser of two evils, even though if you did technically your duty of voting for the lesser of two evils yourself. And so I think that this moment is urgent enough that it really calls, again, I'm not calling about stamping out dissent and saying, or saying you can't say anything, but that the majority of our public communications energy ought to be focused on the urgency of defeating Trump. And I can see I don't how- think that's, I don't think that's right to put on individuals though. Like, well, I, I don't, I, and I would also argue, I do plenty to diss Trump. I do plenty to go after Republicans, but the entire like media apparatus does that has way more of a bigger following me. There's like entire cable news networks mm -hmm. devoted to telling everybody Trump is bad. I don't need to fill that void. And I'm not spending my time dissing Democrats, but even if I was, if it's legitimate, it's fair. They need to do better. Yeah. We do. Further, we, you do spend your time dissing Democrats. So do I. I do I mean, spend my time dissing Democrats, yeah. but it's it's like I think it's fair and legitimate. Yeah. Like I don't think yeah, that yeah, we need course. to. I don't think we should be like withholding criticism. I'm not swaying elections. I'm not. I'm certainly not just discouraging people to not vote. And I don't think we should be policing people. Like I don't. I don't think we should be policing. Like this is this goes back to like should we be should we just withhold any like critical journalism of Democrats no. until after the election is over? No. Should we you know we can't you can't do that. No. Like you you can't just give a party a blank check to behave however they want to. There has to be some pressure on them from the left. There's um, no question. And and by the way, I made a video specifically saying Biden sucks on Palestine and right. that's the entirety of the video. So right. it was not couched in whatever uh, you know. So I, I, I think also think I also think though like there should be a broader conversation in this country about the fact that we call ourselves a democracy, which by the way, we are not. We are a two-party corporate tyranny. We only have two mm -hmm. parties to choose from. The only difference between us and Syria is they have one party. Actually, I think they have more than one party, but it's not like really more than one party. Yeah. 
But my point is, is that's like we have a two-party dictatorship. And that's another reason why I think so many people don't vote. Because if you look at other countries that are actual democracies, they have like six, seven, eight, ten parties. So people actually can find a place that ideologically represents them in their interests. So why don't we have that in this country? I I just want to, I want it because I I think that we should expand. I think that, um, Ronnie, you're taking an, I thought you were, it's fine, but I thought it was going to be, this was going to be the more united part and then we were going to have the other side. (laughs) The left is so divisive that, of course, we already have a division here. I will say this, though. I do think, I mean, I do think if you're in a swing state, you should vote for Joe Biden. Like, I want Trump to not be president anymore. He's been a disaster. And I would encourage people in states that matter to do that. And if I can squeeze in one quick thought, Katie, and then I'll I'll leave it there. I know we want to expand this conversation. I also think that there's a difference between policing and just we we all make judgments on what to highlight. And when you look just to take an extreme example that I'm not accusing anybody or comparing anybody to. But like when Breitbart has a section about crimes committed by black people, they're technically not lying. The information they're they're accruing is, is real. But at the same time, the motivation of highlighting it and the narrative that they're choosing to promote is a deeply problematic one. And so in that sense, without suggesting that anybody should anybody should be immune from criticism, I think we all face these decisions every day of trying to decide what's important to bring to the surface in this political moment. And I think that that ought to be a thought that we just spend some time thinking about. Yeah. I actually think that if, if Rania or I really like smilingly endorse Biden, we are doing a disservice not to our brand or our people or communities, I think it doesn't help Biden because then I think like we lose a lot of cred. Yeah, honestly. do you want an Assadist endorsing Biden? Well, no, I mean, I endorsed him on, I, and I did, I endorsed him on RT. But I mean that like if we're super <laughs> pro um, Biden, I think people will just, I mean, I, who knows? And again, like Ronnie was like, we don't influence people to the extent that we may. I don't know. Like, well, I don't think we sway elections. Like, there's just no, but like to the extent that anyone has any power as a voice, I mean, I think that people probably, I think I'm more convincing uh, people, but I would assume that someone would take my pro Biden argument more seriously if they knew where I was coming from and understood that. Aaron, anything to say before we bring on? Yeah, uh, I agree with pretty much all I heard. Um, I think. See, the problem is we're voting for two different factions of the ruling class. Right. And that's a, not a very inspiring choice, especially given that Bernie was an option earlier this year, just not that long ago, although it feels like forever. <clears throat> but even with even within the ruling class, when there are differences, those differences can make a huge amount of difference to the world's most vulnerable people, as Omar talked about. And I think there's so many issues where just on one, one issue alone would be enough to vote for Biden. So, for example... Do you want Iranian kids to have medicine or not? Well, if you do, if you don't care about that, then then you're fine to have Trump come in because Trump will continue to impose murderous sanctions. Whereas Biden has said that he will return to the Iran uh, uh, deal that lifted those murderous sanctions. Same with other countries, although I'm not as optimistic. But in Venezuela, if you vote for Trump, you're guaranteeing that murderous sanctions continue and that Venezuelan kids are denied medicine. Biden has an awful Venezuela policy and he might try to continue Trump's policy, but at least with Biden, there's a chance that enough pressure might uh, force the Biden administration to drop the murderous sanctions and say, why are we denying Venezuelan kids medicine under a Trump policy? Why don't you drop a Trump policy? I think it'd be much easier to affect that outcome rather than trying to try to pressure Trump, who doesn't care about the left. They serve the most narrow reactionary constituency possible, even a worse constituency than the Biden uh, administration serves. So, uh, and the same thing within the U.S. Like, do you care about food stamps for people? Trump administration has tried to cut food stamps and Medicaid. And look at Betsy DeVos. Would you rather have Betsy DeVos as your education secretary? Or is it possible that whoever Biden puts in will be less worse? It's guaranteed that whoever Biden puts in is less worse. And that impacts, again, the lives of millions of children, especially the most vulnerable. So there's so many issues where even though Biden, I have nothing positive to say about his agenda, nothing. The fact that it's just not Trump is, I think, enough to, again, on one day uh, over a four-year period, vote for the less evil person. It just, it, it seems so obvious to me. So I want to bring in two other people to this debate. Um, and uh, one of them uh, you've seen before, uh, Eugene Purrier. Let's bring him in. 
He's the host of Breakthrough News. Did I say it right? Well, you got Breakthrough News right. I'm a host at Breakthrough News. Okay, uh, whatever. You're gonna. Are you um, article shaming me? I mean, you know, I'm I'm leveling multiple layers of shit. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, one at a time. So the first one was article. And he also just launched a great podcast um, called Punch Out. The Punch Out. But this is this is the best you've ever done with my I feel fantastic about that. And while we're talking about Substack and Patreon, you can always go to patreon.com slash breakthroughs um, and support us there. Of course, we're funded by the American people. Right. Message. Uh, actually, people around the world, too, to be honest with you. But nevertheless, uh, happy to be here as always, Katie. Yes. Well, thank you for coming on. And also going to bring in making his Katie Helper Show debut. Really game changer moment. Uh, mark down, write down in your diary, journal this day, because you're going to look back. Um, Benjamin Studebaker, who is a political theorist from the University of Cambridge. You can find all his work at BenjaminStudebaker.com. Uh, and he also had a really interesting debate with Nathan Robinson about this and the Current Affairs podcast. So welcome to the welcome into the fold. Um, Great to be here. Thanks yes. for having me. I love thanks so much for is your patience. Is that a refrigerator? I love it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Downstairs, <laughs> downstairs kitchen down here. Yeah. Nice, nice. Where, where, what city? Where are you, by the way? Indiana. Yeah, North which West is Indiana. From where you? From whence you are? Yes, that's from right. from where I come. Yes, yes. Well, you're good. So Eugene and Benjamin, yeah. what have you been thinking besides? Oh my God, I can't believe how behind the show is. What were your responses? <laughs> what were your thoughts when hearing all of us, uh, these um, these centrist neoliberal shills that you see before you? <laughs> and if you dis- if you disagree, if you disagree with me, we will kick you off the show. <laughs> well, that, she I, I'm not going to say I've been kicked out of better places, but I've been kicked out of a lot of places. Um, but this, this actually would probably be the top of the list. But no, I mean, obviously, I haven't been thinking of anything about neoliberal shows. I, I I appreciate everybody on this show and, 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 you know, the work that people have done. But I just disagree with the framework. I mean, just to dive right in. I mean, I, I think the issue of harm reduction, to me, kind of cuts both ways. And, and I think when we say, well, what is, why is the reason people are not voting? I mean, I would be more than happy. I'm always happy to see more investigation. But I think it's relatively clear when we looked at their overwhelmingly working class, overwhelmingly young, overwhelmingly people of color, because their actual daily life experience tells them that there is relatively limited change in many different ways. I think there's a range of ways to look at this. And I think if we want to put it in individual issues, um, I, I, I agree that can be helpful in looking at it. I mean, you think, for instance, what is one of the biggest issues in every working class urban community in the country is gentrification. Now, gentrification are policies that are mainly laid out by the local housing authorities uh, uh, working at the state and the local level. But of course, that money by and large is coming from the federal government. And during the Obama administration, which had similar policies to what Joe Biden's proposing, they used large amounts of money and said, oh, we're doing all these great things. Everyone's criticizing the, the famed Hope Six that Clinton brought in was associated with welfare reform. We're gonna do all these new things. And what was the end result is that all of these major cities continue continue to push forward the gentrification style policies that are essentially, uh, I would argue, really a form of ethnic cleansing. When you look at 50% of black people pushed out of Washington, D.C., where I lived for 15 years, and that's on the watch of Obama and on the watch of Mayor Muriel Bowser, who wrote Black Lives Matter in the street and talked about it at the DNC. So I can see how you might feel like, I don't know, maybe this isn't really something that is going to bring tangible change. I think we could go to a deeper level, of course, when we also talk about policing, um, you know, almost all supporting Donald Trump. Uh, nevertheless, most of the things we hear about as it concerns with uh, as it concerns policing in America and certainly the racist, violent, brutal nature of it is mainly Democratic jurisdictions. Joe Biden is claiming he's going to give $20 billion to them and is arguing they should adopt a shoot to maim strategy. I guess it sounds cooler when you say shoot him in the leg, but I don't know. To me, that Very sounds Israeli. For people who might live, you know, where I'm living right now in the Bronx, people who are living in South L.A., on the south side of Chicago, uh, in the west side of Atlanta, who are thinking, well, you know, maybe I'm, I'm not really going to, to put my energy into something that has shown, whether it's Democrat or whether it's Republican, that they actually are destroying my life, that the harm is very real and often deeply deadly. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people a year who are being subjected to these brutal conditions. I, I mean, I think we could go on and on all day on those sorts of comparisons. And I think that's exactly the problem, is that I, I agree with you 100%, Omar, that we have to move away from any sort of, of 
Oh, oh man! Oh my God! He was on the wall. Well done! Oh my God! The man! Where was he going? Where was he going? Oh my God! So let's let's remember his last words so we can. Prompton, prompton. The way he got like We have to move. He said, "I agree with you, Omar. We have to move away from that's where we're that's where we'll prompton." Was he going to say away from? Well, this is like Mad Libs. This is like Mad Libs. Um, Benjamin, not to put any pressure on you, you do not have to guess what he was going to say, but would you, I uh, wanted to give you the chance while, uh, I think, I think Eugene is just looking for the perfect word. He's or not actually Katie, frozen. Katie He's censored not- him. Wait, wait. How lucky okay. can you be frozen on that? I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to close. You know that no, you but- were frozen after you said we need to move away from? Yeah. Yes. And I was going to say, I think we need to move away from a reality of how do we just get out? How do we just deal with the least worst issue each time? And how do we create a new paradigm? Because the fact of the matter is, if we take every single election since 1984, people have said lesser of two evils in the political register had only moved right. You could make a very credible case in 1992 that Bill Clinton was better than George H.W. Bush. And Bill Clinton launched some of the most devastating attacks on working class people in this country and around the world that we had seen in decades. So it's not even guaranteed. You look at the Supreme Court, you know, Earl Warren, who was a white supremacist supporter of the Japanese internment camps and also the father of some of the most progressive court decisions ever. We give elections far too much agency and we take too much away from movements and we take too much away from the idea that movements have to have independent political voices to rally forces, to move from the margins to the center of society to really make a change, which is why history is littered with examples of small groups of people doing what appear to be relatively futile things that obviously in retrospect were important points for people to come together to start to build a movement to chart a new course rather than to just be you know a tail to the kite of some other political force so from my point of view i think it takes very much the sort of agency you sit yourself in uh and and what you're constructing outside of the election that matters as much as anything else when obama inspired people to vote and said we should be inspired by the youth that led us this summer that was not you know, people voting. It was people burning down police stations in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And if that's the energy he feels like he needs to ride off of to get people inspired to make change in this country, it should tell you something about the type of organizing and the type of movements we need to build uh, and the things we should put the most stress on. And I think the times where we have to stand up and be counted, even when it seems difficult. So just to, just to summarize, I want to make sure I'm getting this part right. You're not challenged. Are you challenging the premise that harm reduction in this election would be achieved by Biden's um, victory? Or are you saying that that shouldn't be the focus and that focusing on that drifts us away from the path at hand, from the task at hand? I'm saying I think the latter, but I am arguing to some degree the former, that I think that the harm reduction can cut both ways. And that many of the things that Biden has stated here is going to do is going to be deeply harmful to many millions of working class people in ways that many of us rose up against across the the, the country this summer uh, in anger about. Okay. Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll give it to Benjamin. Yeah. Not challenging that Biden will be terrible, but is there any issue of all the ones you just named where a Trump presidency would be better? Well, I mean, I think on most of them, I did mention North Korea, which might be one that yeah. I did. Uh, but the Korean might be actually, yeah. But to speak directly to the, the housing policy and the other ones, no. But I think that's the problem, is that you could get killed by the cops either way. There's no difference. That they're going to kick you out of your home either way. There's not going to be a difference. I think that's certainly why people don't vote. And I think that if we don't look at how in certain ways, yes, you can say this may be an advance or that may be an advance, but certain ways, no, it can be deeply harmful. And because of things we don't expect, that's why I used the 92 example, it can even be very harmful in ways that we never saw coming. And I, obviously you can say you can't plan for that, but I do think we have to think about it because historically it has been the case. But even George H.W. Bush in 92, do you think he would have been any better than Bill Clinton? I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm, I'm, never, I'm never arguing that Bill Clinton yeah. or Joe Biden are good people. I'm saying it's, there's always the alternative. I mean, the alternative. Look, in 2016, I but really got it. It never happened, though. Like to say George H.W. Yeah. Bush, but it was it was Clinton who didn't after the crime bill. The anti- I know it did, but with George H.W. Bush out of it's political. That's the problem. Yeah, but I will say one thing in in Eugene's favor, and then we're gonna uh, which is. I also want to add uh, one thing before we. I do have so much to say, but I, I guess. I know, but hold on, hold on one second, and then hold on. Uh, although I could, I guess, to, to be a good model, I could just pass it to Benjamin first, and then we respond. I just don't want to. Uh, I'll just say that crap. I can't remember what I said. You just <laughs> said something. All right, go, let, let's. All right, if you guys Benjamin. Can do thirty. 
30 no, seconds. Let's go okay, back. Benjamin, Benjamin. Let's go okay, back. yeah. All right. Yeah. And then we'll. All right. Let me give you a couple arguments. All right. Okay. So, first, if you look at the history of the last 40, 45 years of American politics, the Democrats do right wing things and the Republicans win by criticizing those right-wing things and then use those right-wing things to create space to do more right-wing things, right? So even go all the way back to Lyndon Johnson. He's got to do Vietnam because in the 50s, the Democrats were accused of being soft on communism. So he's terrified to leave Vietnam and look soft. Nixon goes, we need peace with honor in Vietnam. Johnson can't do it. And then he gets in off that and then bombs the hell out of Cambodia, right? Jimmy Carter, he appoints Paul Volcker, chairman of the Federal Reserve. Paul Volcker jacks up the interest rate, jacks up unemployment, huge recession in 1980, right? Reagan goes, are you better off than you were four years ago? No, you're not. And then he does more jacking up the interest rate, more recession, more union crushing, more of all of that. Bill Clinton in the 90s, he's trying to cut spending. He's trying to have this big budget surplus. He murders welfare. What does George W. Bush go? Well, there's this big budget surplus. So let's give it back to the American people in a tax cut right? Trying to give the people back the money. No, it's tax cuts to the rich. But he uses the opening given to him by Bill Clinton. In the case of Barack Obama, he agrees to sequestration. He agrees to the Budget Control Act of 2011. That means in all these red states where the Republican governors are cutting, 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 there's no federal money coming to offset. So there's no job growth in the rural counties in those states. Those counties feel forgotten. They don't blame their Republican governors. They blame the Democratic president. And they vote for Trump, who promises that they won't be forgotten anymore. On fracking, Barack Obama fracks the hell out of everything, collapses the oil price by 50% over the course of his administration. And then we get coronavirus, which collapses it again. How's alternative energy supposed to compete with that? These are the most consequential decisions, and none of them are ever on, in the platform. None of them are ever policies that these people talk about during the campaign. We wouldn't be able to talk about the fracking. We wouldn't be able to talk about... Uh, Libya, the, the Libyan intervention in 2011, we wouldn't be able to talk about any of these things in 2008 or any of the stuff Bill Clinton did in 1992 or any of the stuff Carter did in 1976 because none of it is ever part of the policy platform. The worst stuff that the Democrats do is always stuff that they don't mention at all. They don't really mention it at all and they spring it on you during the term and everybody lets it go. The Republicans, of course, are going to support it. And the left is going to be tame because they don't want to look like they're opposing the Democratic president. So the Democrat gets away with it. Now, on the other side of this, right, I want you to think about 2004. This is my second argument, right? In 2004, we ran, you know, Democrats ran John Kerry, this you know, milk toast centrist who's totally into all kinds of foreign intervention, right? They run John Kerry and John Kerry doesn't win. And because John Kerry doesn't win, uh, George W. Bush gets the blame for Iraq. He gets the blame for Katrina. He gets the blame for 2008. The bottom drops out of his popularity from 2005 on. By 2008, like Donald Trump said, Abraham Lincoln couldn't have won that election for the Republicans. It's such a disaster. Everybody's blaming George W. Bush. It's a huge opening. Now, we waste that opening on Barack Obama, who squanders it. Okay. But that even the, the rump leftover bits of that opening are what gets us the Bernie movement and what gets us what we have and what we are and what we're doing, right? So if John Kerry wins that election in 2004, and I think John Kerry and Joe Biden are very similar politicians with very similar positions, John Kerry it would have, of course, not been able to resolve the situation in Iraq. And the Republicans would have said Iraq would have worked out if we'd stuck with George W. Bush. John Kerry's weak, and that's why we lost, right? He wouldn't have been able to do anything different in Katrina. FEMA would not have been in dramatically better shape with John Kerry. There's no obvious reason to think that it would have been. And then on 2008, that has roots that go way, way back in our political economy. That's not exclusively a George W. Bush problem. So John Kerry would have gotten the blame for all of those things, and the Democrats would have gotten the blame. And because the Republicans say that the Democrats are socialists, we would have gotten the blame. And you can see this in Britain. In Britain, Gordon Brown was prime minister in 2008. And Gordon Brown got the blame for 2008, and the Labor Party and the left got the blame. And in Britain, most people believe that the 2008 crash happened because Labor spent too much money in the 2000s. Now, the Conservative Party in 2005 was promising to do the same spending, the same spending that Labor was promising. And it fueled this narrative that it was left-wing economics in the 2000s that led to the crash, and that fueled the austerity, it fueled the cuts, and it fueled the movement of the Conservative Party dramatically to the right, led to Brexit, 
led to Boris Johnson is leading to terrible disruption in the European Union. So we have to think about not just uh, individual isolated issues, but where this sits in the trajectory of the country and what produces a trend line that is more favorable to us. And electing uh, the Democrat in the middle, in, in the mm-hmm. middle, the Democrats always nominate the worst centrist when they're trying to challenge a Republican incumbent. That's always when they nominate the worst possible person. That person isn't going to do a better job. And then we're going to get the blame. We're going to be sitting here in four years if Joe Biden wins, if, if not four years, eight years. Maybe the Republicans will nominate a Romney type and a Democrat will win again in 2024. But sooner or later, four years or eight years from now, we're going to get the blame we, the left, are going to get the blame for the horrible, horrible centrist crap that Joe Biden does. And the country is going to respond by moving further to the right. And it's going to pick a Republican that is worse than Donald Trump, someone who has been inspired by Donald Trump and is willing to take that in a much, much more aggressive direction. Donald Trump is a safe ass clown who is hated by the military, is hated by the Central Intelligence Agency, doesn't have a whole lot of support among troops. There's no movement in the government to turn Donald Trump into an authoritarian kingpin. But if we stay on the same trajectory, if we follow the same trend line and we don't do something to disrupt the trend, we could in four years, eight years, 12 years, somewhere, end up with a Republican that's worse. And we've been on this path where every Republican is worse than the previous Republican for a long, long time. I just want to give people a chance to just let me interject and then I'll pass it on to people to respond. I just want to kind of to to, to put your thing in a bracket. You're you're saying that it's not necessarily in this like individual term that Biden would be. You're not denying that Trump may be worse than Biden if he were be elected in this term, but you're saying it's overall a dangerous arc and that just strategically Dems would be may, maybe better positioned to let the a Republican win this time so that Trump will continue to get the blame. Well, that and I do also think that sometimes Democrats do astoundingly terrible things that Republicans would not be able yeah. to get away with right. because they won't be opposed yeah. by Democrats. Right. They take the liberal as, as it, they, right, they yeah. say, you know, I was thinking Nixon and, goes to China. Right. And and yeah. when you brought the question up to Eugene, Aaron, I was thinking of um, with NAFTA and, and George W. H. H. W. like. Sometimes, you know, I think Thomas Frank quotes someone in Listen Liberal where it's like it takes a liberal sometimes to do that. Like to get NAFTA through, it takes a liberal because there's not as much opposition. At the same time, I would argue against you, Benjamin, in the case of Katrina, because I don't know it's a counterfactual, but I could easily have seen Kerry taking the reports more seriously about the the levies going, you know, breaking. Then, it certainly would not be a heck did. of a job, Brownie. Right. There so were I, I also think, so I think my, my take on what you just said is, I think I think it is accurate 100% that um, we have this situation, right, where this sort of centrism, neoliberalism, triangulation of the Democratic Party um, is so terrible and awful that it's leading to it's actually playing into a future sort of fascism. Um, it really is, right? Like, because we, the problem in this country is also that we don't have left movements. I disagree that the answer to that is to let a Republican win. I don't think that that's going to fix things. But I do think, yes, I worry about four, eight years from now, after four to eight years of a Biden-Harris administration, we're going to have a very charming, more effective version than Donald Trump. Because things aren't going to get materially better for a lot of people in the country, for working class people. We're going to have like a Tom Cotton or a Candace Owens or someone we haven't even heard yet. And that's really scary to think about. I don't think that another Trump presidency is necessarily going to make that not happen. And I actually think the way to avoid that is left movement building, which we don't have enough of. Like, I think Eugene made a really good point that we put way too much emphasis on elections and like, and like changing things structurally in this country through the electoral system when that's not actually how to, I don't think it doesn't seem historically that things necessarily change that way. 
change the things change like Eugene mentioned from like movements independent voices and independent movements on the ground and that is what we need more of because right now like the entire the right wing is the one that has the media apparatus to like appeal to all the disaffected people who are angry at the system you know we which don't is why you that. can support our patreon right which is why but we don't have cable news outlets to like give people a left narrative to help them understand you know why yep. their life is like why why they're in such economic precarity like we don't have that sort of megaphone so I think that like that doesn't change regardless of who gets elected. The left is still in a weak position. So I think the question becomes, how do we make the left stronger? I definitely don't think another Trump, another term of Trump would make the left stronger. In fact, I think the, the last four years of Trump have moved the entire country, including liberals, to like further to the right. Because like, they, I mean, he, he literally just moved the entire country further more to the right with Russiagate. Um, and then everything, right, everything becomes about resistance to Trump. So right. like the couple of things that he's been like, okay on like North Korea, yeah. it's like now everybody's like anti, you right. know, sitting down with the leader of North Korea. Everyone's anti doing the thing that Obama did and was praised for by, praised by liberals for doing and right wing hated him for. Um, yeah. Omar and then Aaron and then. Sure. Um that, that reversal of roles, by the way, is indeed stunning. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it tells you something about sort of the partisan hackery over the entire political culture in this country to some extent. But honestly, I mean, look, this last point that Ronnie just made that Eugene made earlier about the fact that there's an overemphasis on electoral politics and that movement building is how you actually achieve change. There is no question that that is true. And I think a lot of what Eugene said is a thousand percent correct. But none of it tells you why you shouldn't reduce harm during the election by voting Trump out of office. None of all that movement building that's really important can happen in addition to voting out the worst of two evils. You know, it's um, a problem that we don't have a real progressive option. The fact that both parties on way too many issues are too similar. And in some cases, there are no differences at all. But simply allowing Trump to win another election does absolutely nothing to move the Democrats left or in a more progressive direction. I mean, it just happened in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. You know, the left was disaffected. They were not happy about it. Many of them sat out. And here we are four years later, and they're nominating Joe Biden. So it's not like the Democrats move in a more progressive direction when progressives simply sit out these elections. So you still can do all of this absolutely important and critical work that you're talking about. But when it comes to election day, there is a responsibility to pull the lever to reduce harm in that specific moment without necessarily undermining all of that other work that needs to be done. And on the point that Benjamin was making earlier, I mean, on sort of the idea that we have uh, a, a balance of blame to a game to play with that, to try to move the country in, a, in a one direction or the other. First, I think that's very speculative. It's very difficult to get a strict trajectory on how that ends up moving. And in the meantime, I don't think, you know, Benjamin, he described Trump as a safe clown. I don't think there is anything safe about having Trump in office. And particularly for the people who are most vulnerable, for the children who are still getting separated. I mean, they claim that the policy ended, but it hasn't. For the kids who will never see their parents again, for the people in Iran who are suffering, for the people in Palestine who are suffering, um, for the climate of the entire planet that is degrading very quickly. I don't think it's safe to say, let Trump do incredibly horrible shit and destroy half the planet and cause immense suffering in the hope that this one day will cause a progressive shift in our political discourse. That seems to be too high a risk. And it brings me back to the idea that we do have real work to do to try to shift the political conversation in a more productive direction through movement building that does not happen through elections. But I still feel that it's absolutely critical that on election day, there is a clear choice to make and the choice to reduce harm ought to be the one that we make. Aaron, do you want to? Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything Omar said. Uh, we live in the present. You know, anything is possible in the future. And I'm not going to vote to murder more Iranian kids on the off chance that maybe something worse than Trump could come along. I can't actually imagine something worse than Trump. Uh, and even if something worse than Trump comes along in the future, I'm concerned with avoiding the worst right now. Trump, uh, Biden is boxed in on many issues that will lead to tangible good. The Democrats have, after January 2017, decided to become advocates for undocumented immigrants, whereas before that they were deporting them and caging them. Biden is boxed in on that now. It will be very difficult for him to continue the Obama-Biden immigration policy 
under a Biden administration now. And if he does, he can be called on it very easily. And there's a big grassroots mobilization around that that could possibly be harnessed. So there's all these, I mean, again, countless issues where you can say, you can point to there's such a higher probability or even a guarantee that Biden will cause so much less suffering and death that uh, the argument that possibly something worse than Trump might come along in four years or eight years is, is just not enough to negate that. I can't even believe it's it's even up for discussion. Yeah, it's an interesting thought experiment. There's no question about it if you're just sitting and analyzing. But again, consequential morality, if the lives of people are in your hands, in a sense, as a voter in this well, case. And- I don't, I, but I do think I do think it's an interesting question. And I'd love to get Eugene's take on this. Actually. I do think it's an interesting question about what do you do about the fact that because there actually is worse than Trump. Trump's yeah, that, a, Trump, is, Trump is a clown. Trump is a I mean, clown. I, I, he's not, I, I, I he's not the most effective like yeah. person in his position. But in four to eight years, like yeah. that is that is legitimate. That in four to eight years, there will be like tr- yeah. I, I mean that is true. There is going to be a more charming version of Donald Trump. That is Who's going not, to happen. Who hasn't alienated, may, the most dangerous thing is that so he what, won't have alienated the security and intelligence communities, which is what I think Benjamin said, but yes. Uh, like a Tom uh, Cotton, the Pentagon yeah. will love him. So Eugene, yeah, how do we address that yeah, well, four to eight years? Like, what's your take on that? Well, I don't want to address the four to eight years because again, I think, I actually think the exact same thing is, is true. I mean, I also want to deal in the present, not the future. And what potentially could happen under Biden and what he may or may not be boxed in on um, is is a whole different issue. Uh, and I think there's a lot of things people thought Obama was boxed in on, namely EFCA and the public option that didn't happen. But I mean, I'm not disagreeing with the idea that well, certainly not that Trump is bad, but that different people have different consequences uh, in terms of what they do. What I'm disagreeing on is that this is a clear that th- that the idea that this is a clear harm reduction argument is, in fact, the case. I do not agree and I do not think is the correct premise. I mean, I, I don't want to go through the things that I, I listed before. And, you know, I, I think you make a very good point, Aaron, that, you know, can you say uh, Trump wouldn't do worse, but we're talking about what are the actual outcomes. So the reality is living in Washington, D.C. for 15 years and that being my formative experience around the issue of gentrification, knowing that there's going to still be an ongoing move to completely move almost all poor working class and exploited people out. It'll be done by Democrats. It'll be done with the money and the programs developed by allegedly progressive person that Joe Biden is going to sit there at HUD. Or that, for instance, he may take Mayor Muriel Bowser from Washington, D.C. and put her in the Department of Education and think about the terrible things she's done to destroy public unions, to gut public teachers unions, to promote the billionaire agenda of charter schools or one of her number one funders, along with other things. And again, and I don't want to you know, make this an overly uh, over point, but I mean, you know, the issue of police murder is one of the issues that's the most in front of us right now and is one of the most bipartisan issues in terms of harm that's actually being reduced when you think of the people who are dead, who are never coming back, who have Joe Biden surrogates, who are the ones who are defending them case in and case out, day in and day out, and putting up and taking in this $20 billion uh, to form these programs. This, you know, just like Clinton said, he had the cops. It was supposed to be all fuzzy and friendly, but it ended up being one of the greatest propaganda ap- apparatuses for mass incarceration, occupied, militarized policing. So I don't think you you can actually say pulling the lever for Biden. You, I mean, we could go through the different policies. We can. Okay, can I ask you this? What about what about what about what about? Let me just make one final point because I think here's the real question for me. Okay. And and the real question is not what's going to happen in four to eight years. It's not are the Democrats going to move left. It's like what do we actually have to do to start to break that consensus? And I think when you look historically, it's undeniable. Whether we're talking about the Free Soil Party and the Liberty Party, whether we're talking about the Republican fusion, the early Populist Party in the 1880s, whether we're talking about the movement uh, uh, behind Henry Wallace that, of course, lost, but was the thing that got Truman to actually say the word civil rights and bring it into a platform and veto Taft-Hartley. And then those heavily maligned individuals who who backed the Progressive Party with the initial cradle of support for the early Martin Luther King and the early civil rights movement. I think we've seen time and time again that, in fact, it's it's the insurgent challenges of movements that are willing to raise their own voice on their own terms, even when it feels like, yes, the deck is stacked against you, that start to create the polarizations in times like these that are so important that we really cannot wait because none of these people are talking about solutions that are going to meet the scale of the problem. So either way, we're talking about fighting. I'm talking about how are we going to use this election to gather forces so that we aren't sitting here in four years so that the guy who just got out of prison in Florida, who got his right to vote back due to an amendment, who wants to go vote on the amendment that you all should vote on if you vote in Florida to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, but says, 
hey, I can't vote for Joe Biden. This dude is responsible for the policies that put me in jail. I don't view that as harm reduction or a positive thing. So I'm going to vote for Gloria Larivo on the Florida ballot, that he's not the enemy, and that that's a logical reaction. Except and that it was Republican judges. Take him into an active stopped. political participant, not just someone who sits on the sidelines, which is how the 74 million working class people who didn't vote in 2016 often feel, because they feel like they're being imputed with their hands being dirty, or this being a negative moral choice, when they're just trying to live their own reality and look for a politics that speaks to that. And I think you have to raise that up and you have to lift up that voice in the wilderness. And what would what would any of the things we talk about be if in tough moments people didn't do that, even when the obvious choice seemed like it was maybe one that led to to a hard road? I mean, there's no denying that, but it's a yeah. hard road either way. Hard, but the question is, is it harder? I mean, the, the, the in Florida, they passed a referendum that allowed people who have criminal records to vote and then Republican judges got in the way of that and made sure that the will of the people is not heard. You mentioned the issue of, of police killings of black people. Yes, Biden's policy on this is going to suck, but you have Trump who's flat out waging war on, on black America and to, uh, describing the, the BLM movement as a racist movement. I do want to say something. On. I, w- I do want to add. I do want to add. I do wanna... Someone, someone's going to be in there. Someone's going to be in there. It's going to be either Biden... Dallas. Biden doing it. Let me make a quick point. I want to make a departments under the control of Democrats. If we're going to talk about Trump is waging a war on Black America. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get up in arms, but like, let's just be realistic here. Let's look at the Democratic legislatures who won't raise tenth to above the poverty level, leaving millions of people living in poverty for hundreds of millions of dollars. Pennies. Not disputing that at all. But is Trump better? Is the only question is Trump better? You can't just say that it's a straight up harm reduction argument. You on this, it's not, right? On some issues, well, it's not. Can. Can, can we make that argument? Can't we say the Democrats are terrible, the Republicans are extra terrible, and... No. If, if I'm no. living on the street... Wait, I do want to... No. Hang on. I want to make a quick point. Aaron, Aaron, I pass you the hosting duties. I'm just kidding. I want to make a quick point about foreign policy real quick. I want to make a quick point about foreign policy. Wait, can we... All right. And then Benjamin, because he hasn't spoken in a while. Well, your point is very well taken um, on the police issue. On the issue of foreign policy, I and this is is hard for me to say, because I think both parties, people are going to get bombed and die. That's what's going to happen. However, Mike Pompeo is currently in charge of our foreign policy right now. Mike Pompeo is a rapture-ready lunatic neocon who is literally, like, starving several countries in a more extreme way than America's ever done. Like, not just Iran, also Venezuela, and the country I live in the most of the time, Lebanon, the future of that country right now is actually in the hands of who wins the presidency. Because if it's another Donald Trump presidency, that maximum pressure campaign on Iran gets, you know, hits Lebanon even harder because they see Hezbollah as an extension of Iran. So, like, there is, there, they're actually... In this case, there really is a difference between, and I'm saying between Mike Pompeo and a Joe Biden administration that would be more open to diplomacy um, because he will want to go back to the nuclear deal. So I do think it, it is issue by issue. Um, it, it's not like, and I, I do think in some cases, it, this like whole harm reduction thing does apply because people need, people in places like Venezuela and Iran need a little bit of breathing room. Like, and that's all they see it as, is just a little bit of breathing room. Because under this maximum pressure, Mike Pompeo, Elliot Abrams, like lunatic neocon situation, they can't breathe, like at all. It's impossible. Like they're strangling the the economy of these places to the point where like life is impossible. So I do think that that presents a difference. And, and, and to me personally, I guess maybe I'm being a little selfish too because of the place I live, but it is really, really difficult living in a place where like you can't access your money because the banks don't work because of sanctions. Like it's really difficult. Like people, the stuff affects people in, in, in ways we can't even imagine. So I, I actually do think in this case, like, like a Biden administration would be far, far better than a Trump administration would. You can use that against me if I'm completely wrong in two years. Maybe I am, but like this, this situation right now is untenable. What, well, what, yeah. I think it comes down to a, a comparison. Would you rather live in Iran under maximum pressure or <laughs> Libya under Obama's civil war? 
Fair enough. And I think that if Hillary Clinton had won, something quite similar would be happening in Syria. That's true. And potentially in other places. But and it's I happening think it's, in Syria. It's happening in Syria, actually, with sanctions. Syria is being strangled by sanctions right now. Yes, but sanctions. But I think point. it would be that's an American point. occupation that's the point. with ground this. troops in Syria. Ground troops, American ground troops with another Iraq-type They are there now. Regular. That was, never, that, that was never. That was never. That was never. That was never a possibility. But she what talked was, was about very large numbers. What this was, was a continuation? A continuation of arming death squads in Syria would have. And John Kerry. John Kerry argued for going in with ground troops. Here's, he did during but, the Obama yeah, administration. This, 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 this argument presumes that a Republican would do something different. That a Republican would be somehow pursuing a more peaceful and dovish option than the Democrat. We've just seen that with Trump. You couldn't have a more hawkish foreign policy with Trump. I heard people in 2016, I got it. I didn't agree with it, but people saw Hillary Clinton, a warmonger, and they saw Donald Trump criticizing Hillary Clinton's hawkish record. And a lot of people thought that Trump might be better on that. He wasn't. He hasn't done a single thing better on foreign policy than Obama did. And in fact, he's been much more hawkish, you could say. He hasn't invaded another country like Libya. Yes, but again, that presumes. I mean, he's doing, he tried to do a coup. That presumes. He did a poor job. He tried to do a coup. He had not. Let me let Aaron's finish. So you're saying that John McCain, who was Obama's opponent in 2008, who would have been in the presidency in 2011 when Obama bombed Libya, you're saying that John McCain wouldn't have done that? I mean, I'm not making a, that argument about well, John McCain. Well, it's, you are, though. You I'm are, not arguing that we should always Trump. vote for the Republican. Talk I'm talking about Trump here, right? I, I do believe that if we had voted for Hillary Clinton, we would get more military interventions that kill more people and reduce the economic output and living standard of more people in the world than we've had over the last four years with Donald Trump. And that's not to deny or to in any way minimize the number of people whose living standards have been decimated by Donald Trump. But given the record of Democrats bombing countries, invading countries, supporting ground troop invasions of countries, I do think we have to take very seriously the possibility that there could have been a large scale ground invasion no, no, no. Um, by the end of by the end of Obama's term, they knew, and I think Ronnie, you'd agree that the Syria proxy war was over. They lost. The only option there. Yeah, left, the Trump was, actually Trump actually continued. Could Trump actually continued what the Obama administration was already doing? I know this for a fact. It's, it's, and they've made it worse thing, right? they've, imp- they've imposed murderous sanctions that are even worse than any sanctions that came before. The that, no, that, John, that, Kerry, John I, Kerry was arguing during the Obama administration. To but listen, the there's also things right. happening behind the scenes. There's also back channels that happen behind the scenes. You have people engaging with two, like with the Syrian government, with the U.S. government behind the scenes that go back and forth and speak to each one. Under a Trump administration, that has been happening much less. I just, under 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 Obama administration, there was a lot of war back channel between people like John Kerry and the Syrian foreign minister or the sorry. Syrian government. Would Hillary have killed the Iran nuclear deal? And, and reimpose the murderous sanctions. We can sit here and say, what if, what if, what if. That's what, hold on, hold on, would Hillary have done that? It's important. It's important. Would Hillary Clinton have done that? No, Hillary Clinton would not have done that. But I okay. think that a Libyan, the Libyan intervention is worse than anything Donald Trump has done. Let's see. Barack okay, Obama. Good, good. That might be true. If I can just say. Omar, 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 sorry, Omar. On policy on the Middle East, there is a debate that is a speculative debate. What would have Hillary Clinton done differently from Donald Trump? And that is unknown. We simply don't know what Hillary Clinton was going to do. What we do know, though, is the change from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. And what happened is a huge expansion, a a loosening of the threshold for civilian casualties in American drone strikes. And so thousands of civilians more were killed under Donald Trump's strikes in both Syria and Iraq and elsewhere than compared to the Obama administration. And the nuclear deal is not just about the economic impact on Iranians, the withdrawal from the nuclear deal. But Donald Trump brought us closer than any other president ever to direct conflict, to direct war with Iran. He, he, assassinated, killed, a, he killed an Iranian general in and, Iraq. And he almost started a war with Iran in Iraq. Like, that was batshit. That was and, and Iran retaliated by bombing military bases that had U.S. soldiers. And had there been deaths as a result of that, you could very much argue that there would be a regional war that would have killed literally 
not exaggerating and not inflating numbers, millions of people if there was a full-on confrontation where Iran decides to go out and its allies against the United States and Israel and Saudi Arabia and whoever else. It would be a suicidal move for Iran. There was never any real risk of Iran escalating it to that degree because Iran knows that it can't win that conflict. They've injured injured 100 U.S. troops. It was fairly a a possibility. If there is a a second Trump administration, Iran will have no more restraint left. Because a a second Trump administration will be more... Oh, yes. But, 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 no, that's but, yes. That, exactly, exactly. If there is I, a I second Trump administration... I, I, mean, I actually don't disagree that, that Biden obviously has a superior position vis-a-vis the Iran deal, without a doubt. But, I mean, again, this is the China point I'm making, is that I feel the scales of justice element of, of harm reduction arguments are, are problematic. I mean, you know, what's one of the big stories that's been in the news in Latin America that's not Bolivia over the past four or five months? I mean, that's the mass murder of social movement activists in Colombia, which is obviously a direct result of the fact the Obama administration wasn't willing to lift even the slightest finger to move forward to try to push forward the Colombia peace deal, which he could have done and could have facilitated in many ways, including the release of Simone Trinidad, but also just supporting the Cuban process that he refused to support and using under the guise of uh, his his declaring of Venezuela as a national security state, you know, some of the issues surround the so-called FARC, the so-called narco traffickers, which actually was the legal basis by which uh, Uh, Donald Trump started to move forward with more aggressive sanctions against Venezuela, which, by the way, Biden is now campaigning on continuing and being tougher than Trump on Venezuela. In fact, handing out his shirts for the Latinos for Biden, that they're 100 percent progressive, but 100 percent anti-communist, that they are, you know, using the Chavez eyes and all these different elements. So, again, the issue is not. Can we can we just go here or go there and say this is better than that, but this is worse than that? Again, the issue to me comes back to as conscious people looking at the role elections play in the context of other social movement activity that I think plays a bigger role. Is there a role to be had for people to come out and to support? You know, I, you call them so-called third parties. I would call them parties that lift up the voices of the marginalized and exploited in an uncompromising way. I, I don't know how you could have history without that. I mean, everyone will look back and say, yes, it was so great that the abolitionists no had this party, the free soil party, and they fought for all these things. And like, isn't it quaint that they did all this? But like at the time, you would be making similar arguments against them. And, and so it's not to demonize anyone who's going to go pull the lever for Biden. I mean, I, I I suspect that will be the least relevant thing I even engage with someone on when I meet them over the next course of the next week. It'll probably, uh, after the election, it'll probably be more likely the things we have in common. So I'm not trying to raise this to some level of, of demonization. I'm just trying to raise it to the level that there's, I think, a very strong argument to make for people who are politically conscious and understand what really needs to happen to transform this society, that we have a duty to raise that, that, that banner and that image in direct contradiction distinction to those who we know will not do it and, and, and fight for hope and fight for change and transformation over a just constant every four years. The political register has moved to the right every four years. Where is the turnaround? Where is the better organizing? Where, Where like a, a candidate Someone in the WWE Hall of Fame going up against a dude with probably with cognitive decline who supported segregation. Like where is the where is the, the increase here? I, I just I, I don't know why it's so controversial to so, stand for what you believe in. I just want to push back on a little bit on sort of the discourse moving to complete shit. I think that there is a real, that there is much more progressive movement as well that I think we should recognize. Obviously, it, depending on which lens you look at the conversation through, but the fact that you have the squad, AOC and Ilhan and Rashida um, and Ayanna Presley all elected to Congress, the fact that you have a victory for Cori Bush and Jamal Bowman, these are all positive signs of of progressives taking on the democratic establishment. Um, I don't agree with that. I you don't, don't agree I, with that at all? I, I, no, I agree it's a positive sign, but it's no, not it's just a positive, because people are running an election. Step. It's because the basis and the foundation was built yeah. to move because people were willing to be in the streets and be uncompromised. For sure. Un- okay. Unquestionably. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we have to, you guys want to come back later on this week so we can finish this debate. Um, I want to give you guys like, I guess, 30 seconds each. Um, and then uh, uh, sadly we have to uh, pause this conversation, but let's do a part two. Okay. Um, does anyone want to do a final statement? You want me to start mine or should I? No, I'll give it to you guys. And then once you're gone, I'll talk shit about all of you. Just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> do you guys want to find Let's go. 
Eugene, you basically gave yours. Is that okay? Or is that, am I like silencing you? Because I, I was just going to make a pitch to everyone to donate to every project that everyone here is working on. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of dollars powered the Bernie Sanders campaign. Imagine if we had $300 million go into the projects that people here are working, how we could change things. So, I mean, Bernie 2024 is my new project. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, everyone. Aaron looked very, <laughs> I could see Aaron's eyeballs in the back of his head. Okay, um, final statements um, from everyone. Uh, let's go. Uh, which way? Ah, I don't like this. Uh, I mean, I love this, but I, I don't know. Uh, let's go from Omar th- that way. Oh, we're gonna end on end. Sure. I don't even know if we, are we all popping in the same uh, on this in the same order on people's screens. Oh um, yeah, I think so. Uh, basically, look. Uh, in closing, I'll just say I'll acknowledge that. Absolutely. I think Eugene's point is absolutely important. The election is just the election. And there's so much more important work than that we need to be doing um, around the rest, you know, the, not to restrict our progressive movement building to just an election, because that is on the less significant side of things. That said, the Democrats are worse on some issues, the Republicans are worse on so many more issues. And so just as a matter of balance, looking right now at the difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, it seems absolutely clear to me that Trump is a much more imminent danger. And frankly, even in, in the lead up to this election, I, I he's made it clear that he intends to hold on to power with his claws. And I think that we risk a very serious crisis. And it seems like the kind of crisis where um, it really could take the country to utter and total shit. I know it is already shit for many people in so many ways, but then it would make it shitty for everyone. And that is worse than it being shitty for some people with the possibility of progress. So I'll just leave it at that. Let's do Rania, Benjamin, and Aaron. I think that's a good way order of people I don't want to tell anyone who to vote for. I think you should vote for who you want to vote for. If you want to vote your conscience, vote your conscience. Um, I can just tell you who I voted for and you got to take it from there. Like it's not, I don't think we should be like demanding and telling people and then shaming them if they don't do it right. Like do your thing. At the end of the day, we don't live in a democracy. We live in like a dick. We live in a corporate dictatorship. That's actually scarier than other dictatorships because people are under the illusion that they live in a democracy, but they don't. Uh, And I think that we need to be focused on changing that by building outside of the Democratic Party, regardless of who you vote for. I think that's what's most important. And one way to do that is through other parties. Like, I I think after this election, we're starting now, like we need to be building outside of this piece of shit party because they only make things worse. And I'm sick of that. I'm so sick of having this debate every four yeah. years. Katie, I'm so done with it. I'm so sorry. I know that we're done, but just a quick question for Rania. Is shaming people who vote for Trump okay? Or do you think that shaming people for any I think moral well, behavior yeah, I think wrong? it's okay to shame people, for me to shame people. I think it's okay <laughs> for me to shame people. It's no, not I very mean, effective. I don't think, look, if you want to shame people who vote for Trump, go ahead. But, but it's, like, it's self-defeating. Like, if you want to gain people to your side, right. like, mm-hmm. that might make you feel good. It makes That's me feel good. That's the irony. Good, the irony is like, it's self-indulgent. I would say the big irony is the self-indulgent purity politics to shame people. Is that true for all gonna, bad moral behavior or just elections? I don't know. Well, hold on. We're, I'm not, I'm not right. dodging. I'm not Fair dodging. Enough. I'm just saying that. All right. Benjamin and Aaron. Yeah. Uh, well, I do think that people seconds. talk about how you can't know the future, but we do know that incumbents get blamed for bad things that happen. So if the system is going to continue to generate more inequality, every president, starting with Jimmy Carter on, has seen a higher top 1% income share. If it's just going to get worse and worse, if we vote for a Democrat who's not going to change anything, we're just ensuring that we get blamed when it blows up. Let's make sure they get blamed. Let's leave them around. The liberals are selling a fear narrative that it's going to all be an apocalypse if he wins another term. It's not. It's going to be like George W. Bush's second term, and we're going to be in good shape when it's over. Aaron. Aaron. Oh. Uh, the question on the ballot is not what kind of movement do we want to build? How do we want to organize? It's do we want to live under Donald J. Trump or Joe Biden? The system is much bigger than either two candidates. So the question is, which of these awful people uh, do we want at the helm of it? And it's no question to me that we want the candidate who most likely on so many key issues, will most likely kill and cause suffering for the most number of people. So it's just, it's an obvious choice for me. And I, you know, I will actually shame people who are not um, looking at the choice right in front of us today and trying to base a decision on a probability in the future that they have no idea of, actually. I actually think that's shameful. You're saying we should deny Iranian kids medicine now 
something worse might come along in four years. I'm sorry. I think that's an act, that's an act of contempt towards people who will suffer the most as a result of the choices that are made on one day. And it's just one day. It shouldn't be a topic of very much debate. There's two people. One of them is a lot worse. So let's vote against that person. It's a pretty easy choice to me. Channeling Noam Chomsky. Uh, Aaron, no, I'm not. It's not a diss. I mean, that's a, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that this, this has been a great conversation. Uh, you guys should all come on again. Um, in four years. No, in four <laughs> days. Yeah, let's do it. yeah. No, I mean, and, uh, yeah, I think, uh, well, also shame, intellectual debate is different from shaming your like brother-in-law or someone on the street. Yeah. That's yeah. a different thing. Or like, like your mom or dad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Stupidly. Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I do think <laughs> yeah. that. I, I guess Eugene, your position. Then we'll end it here. Your position is to me the most like you seem to be saying it's harm. Re- you seem to be saying they're both awful. So why reward one at all? But you're not denying that that Trump is worse than Biden in many areas. I mean, I'm not making it about rewards. I'm making it about what we need to do from my perspective to change the state of affairs to where we're always having this conversation. I'm happy to be shamed for that. But I think that at the end of the day, everyone always says every four years, we're going to talk about it. We're going to do that next time. We're going to do this half time. We're going to do this next time. And it never really happens. And I think historically what we have seen, it's never the we're going to do this next time because of this, that, and the third. It's the, well, I guess we're going to do this this time, even if it has other implications because we feel this is a way that can move forward in a concrete way to use the election in a way to make a concrete attempt to organize more people around a real politic to try right. to move the country. Well, now we just it, have to actually. Just one day, you know, I'm happy to let people vote for Biden, but at the end of the day, you know, we have to ask why we keep coming back to the same place over and over again and keep deferring the conversation about what everyone says we need, which is something different. Yeah. All right. I just think it'll be easier to do that under under Biden than Trump. But I think this has been a great chat. And yeah, let's do it again. Always Thank you, Katie. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to the Katie Helper Show. I hope you enjoyed that debate. Stand by for the Patreon-only chat that I have with Rania Kalik and Aaron Mate at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. On election night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Matt Taibbi and I will be live streaming and doing a live drinking game because that's the only way we can cope with the results. Uh, and you can join us and find us whether or not you drink. You can still come along and watch. Uh, join us on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's youtube.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And that's starting at 8 p.m. Aaron Mate is an award-winning journalist and the host of The Pushback Show, which is at the Gray Zone. He also writes for The Nation. You can find him on Twitter at Aaron J. Mate. Ronit Kalik is a journalist, producer, and host at Soapbox. She's a co-host of the Unauthorized Disclosure podcast. You can find out more about her on Twitter at Rania Kalik. That's R-A-N-I-A-K-H-A-L-E-K. Benjamin Studebaker is a political theorist from the University of Cambridge. His essays on politics, economics, and international relations can be found at benjaminstudebaker.com, as well as places like Current Affairs. And you can follow Benjamin Studebaker at bmstudebaker. B-M-S-T-U-D-E-B-A-K-E-R. Omar Badar is a political analyst on matters relating to the U.S., Middle East, and Palestine-Israel. He identifies as a secularist. He's the former deputy director of the Arab American Institute and a former producer and presenter at Al Jazeera's The Stream. He has a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash user slash Omar Zero. Eugene Purrier, who you can find on Twitter at Eugene Purrier, is an activist, author of Shackled and Chained, Mass Incarceration in Capitalist America, a co-host of Breakthrough News, and uh, the host of a new podcast called The Punch-Out for Breakthrough News. Please rate and review the show on iTunes, The Katie Helper Show. Our theme song is by the band Cordova, and that band has a newly released record called Spectre.